0: Print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley. I hope you've been getting out here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've had the opportunity to go on a couple of late night drives and, well, late late afternoon, early evening drives, I should probably say. And uh, I have began to notice a couple of the bucks in our area are starting to drop their antlers. Many of them are still holding, but... Uh, it appears that some of the other, some of the larger ones maybe were, were at least missing one side. And so, uh, yeah, it's coming up pretty quick on that time when, um, yeah, time to get out and search for some sheds. I actually got out last Friday, so three or four days ago now, um, and got out looking for some sheds and decided there was this uh, area on my favorite piece of public where there's a bunch of south-facing uh, hillsides and kind of this little rolling hill area, and uh, you know I figured a lot of the deer would be bedding on these south-facing slopes, you know, catching that midday sun. And sure enough, found tons and tons of beds. Probably, I mean, every south-facing slope we came to had had beds on it. Unfortunately, we did not come across any antlers. Now we did get to one spot where there was some blood on the ground and. Uh, I'm not sure if the blood on the ground was from a deer. Uh, We never did find an antler, but it was right in the middle of a deer trail and I could kind of track along with where it had gone. So I'm assuming it was a buck that had shed and maybe had just bled just a little bit, but I don't know where the shed could have gone. Hey, maybe one of you crazy listeners uh, beat me to the shed. Who knows? So anyway, the blood looked pretty fresh though. So uh, yeah, I don't know, but we didn't find any sheds. My wife was gracious enough to get out with me um in the very very chilly temperatures but despite our best efforts we came up empty-handed so if you're getting out over the next couple of weeks picking up some sheds be sure to tag me in your photos at the wisconsin sportsman on instagram i want to see what you are picking up uh yeah and hopefully i'll be posting some pictures of my own sheds that i'm finding here over the next couple of weeks All right. So enough of that jibber jabber. Uh, for today's episode, I am catching up with Ryan Ebert. Uh, Ryan is a fish decoy carver here, not too far from where I live. And, uh, I found Ryan on Instagram. He does fantastic, fantastic work. Um, yeah, just creates some really, really beautiful works of art, uh, and some just really great fish decoys. Now, uh, I was not familiar before talking with Ryan what all went into a fish decoy, why you would use fish decoys, what kinds of fish decoys you would want so uh, this is a great conversation just about all of that good stuff. We talk about uh, dark house spearing in general. we talk about sturgeon spearing, which is really great because the season for sturgeon spearing is coming up here in the state of Wisconsin begins in I believe five days, so only something that I want to take part in. I actually uh intended to put in for a tag this year and uh that draw date just comes at a time of year when my brain is 100 percent focused on whitetails i just i don't know i'm just not thinking about a whole lot else that time of year except for whitetails so uh when we get to close to that time next year for putting in for your sturgeon spearing tags uh if you don't hear me talking about it on this podcast shoot me a message and remind me. <laughs> I don't want to forget it again. Uh, I know the odds are really, really low, but I want to start putting in for that. I've, I've watched some videos on YouTube and, um, been checking out a lot of Ryan's stuff and it just looks like an absolute ton of fun. So, uh, yeah, definitely want to try to, to get into some of that next year, but uh, here on this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about fish decoys, what goes into a good one. We're going to talk about sturgeon spearing. We're going to talk about a time when uh, Ryan thought he was going to get eaten by a bear on the ice. It's it's really great, uh, really a great story. So anyway, get into the episode as always. If you haven't already, please be sure to follow or subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you access your Podcasts. Also, if you could leave us a written review, that really, really helps us out a ton, helps other people find this podcast and also lets them know that, hey, maybe this isn't a bad one to listen to after all. And probably the best thing, the most helpful thing that you could do for us is to go online and share this podcast with your buddies, especially when I post it on Instagram. Share around, put in your story, all that kinds of good stuff uh, so that people know that this is a good podcast. Hey, if you dig it, if you like what we're doing here. Help us grow it. Help us spread the word, right? Uh, And then finally, yeah, be sure to follow along with us on Instagram so that you can keep up with all of our shenanigans that we've got going on. I've actually got some cool stuff. Uh, I should have some things coming up this Thursday because I'm actually going out for a pheasant hunt at... Uh, a place here not too terribly far from where I live. It's a, it's a, it's a preserve. So these are, these are farm birds that'll be planted, but uh, yeah, it's a hunt that I did last year and uh, had a fantastic time. So yeah, looking forward to getting out uh, for that this Thursday. Hopefully the weather is nice. Hopefully it's not too cold, not too windy. We want one of those just right mornings because let's be honest, I'm not a very good shot and uh, I like pheasants. So I want to take a bunch of them home. So anyway, with all that stuff out of the way now, let's jump into the conversation with Ryan Ebert. All right, joining me today for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Ryan Ebert. How are you doing, Ryan?
1: Good. How are you doing?
0: Doing great, man. Thanks for joining me for this episode. For those who maybe don't know who you are, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about you and about what you do?
1: Yeah, so I'm uh, based here out of Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. I've uh, been here about 14 years, I think. Uh came originally for an art director uh, role for a publishing company here in town, working on a couple of agriculture magazines. Um, and then, uh, focused solely on my business about four years ago and left that job, uh, doing photography, graphic design, fish decoy carvings, um, little bit of video work, uh, for kind of a wide range of local and national clients. And then last year I started a screen printing business with a couple of buddies. Uh, Again, kind of doing a lot of local uh, businesses and events and schoolwork um, and then designing some of my own apparel and spearing apparel.
0: Man, that's awesome. When I I first found you on Instagram and I saw some fish decoys and man, to me, that's like a totally foreign thing. Like before moving to the north, I never even knew that that was a thing. So tell me a bit about uh, the fish decoys that you carve and sort of how you got into doing
1: that. Yeah, so uh, here in Wisconsin, we have sturgeon spearing, which is a big thing in Lake Winnebago. Um, And then our neighboring states all have pike spearing, and uh, so that's a big thing, big part of the culture, and fish decoys is a major part of that. Um, It's what you kind of lure in the fish, whether it be pike or sturgeon. Uh, I went to college with a... Good buddy, uh, Josh Kitt, whose dad was a game warden up in Marinette, uh, County, and they're both really into pike spearing in the UP. And, uh, I think it was like 2007 or 2008. Um, I went up for the first time to go with them and went spearing and, uh, the first outing, we didn't even see a single pike. Um, but I was already just hooked on it. It's so different. Um, I kind of equate it to like bow hunting or sitting in a deer stand, you know, you're just kind of sitting there waiting waiting for something to come through and watching. And it's just so cool to be able to see under the ice and watching that fish decoy swim around and as you're jigging it. And um, I didn't get into the decoy carbon right away. A uh, couple years later, I decided to give my, try my hand at it being an artist and um, just got really hooked on, on carbon decoys then. And I make about 30 of them a year on average, it's just kind of in the winter months, it's my winter hobby. And um, it's just really cool to drawing a fish with something that I've made. And um, guys that have my decoys, they're always they're sending me pictures or updates of how they're doing or if I brought in a fish for them. And it's just really neat to, to see them have success with something something that I'm handmade. So
0: That's awesome. So tell me about um, when you were first getting into carving decoys. You're an artist, right? So like, was this something that like your first one turned out? You're like, yeah, this is really great. Or, or did it take you some practice to sort of get it figured out?
1: oh, it took a lot of practice and always getting, always getting better. And there's always people that are better at you than something and, you know, striving to be better and getting ideas from different carvers and, uh, picking up techniques and tricks and trying different things. And, um, my very first one, I tried making a salmon and thought I had it weighted to swim all perfect. And I was really excited. I brought it up to the UP to swim it and I put it in the water and it, didn't sink it like sat just below like the surface and didn't actually swim. And, you know, went back to the drawing board and talked to, to my buddy's dad, the warden who carved decoys and kind of was giving me pointers. And he just told me to add a little bit more lead in a certain spot. And sure enough, it was just like one more drop of lead and then it swam right. And, um, so yeah, I spent a lot of time, um, trying to make sure they all swim correctly. And, and when I say that they for swim, you want them to go in kind of a slow slow descending circle and, um, you know, when you jig it and everything to kind of draw them in and and stuff. So. All right.
0: So there's a lot more that goes into this than, than just making it look good on the outside. I, I didn't even know this is where we were going. So talk to me then about what makes a quality, uh, fish decoy. Um, I would have never even thought about making it swim, right. Or anything like that. So, (laughs) so tell me about what, what goes into, uh, carving a fish decoy and what, what sort of separates a great fish
1: decoy apart
0: from an okay one?
1: Um, yeah, the swimming is, is, uh, key. I mean, sure you can just throw a ton of lead in a, in a fish and let it sink like a rock, but it, and then it won't swim around, you know, when you try to move it. Um, so there are competitions for it. Um, like I mentioned our neighboring States, pike spearing is a big thing. Um, they have big, uh, shows for spearing and, fish decoys. Um, I'm on the head of the national fish decoy association board of directors. Um, and we have our major show in April in Perham, Minnesota. So we have contests there, um, both on decorative classes where it looks just super realistic, um, like almost taxidermy quality fish decoys. And then there's ones that are called working classes where it's all just about how they swim. Um, so yeah, again, that's just how it, how it moves in the water, how quick it is, how slow it is. If it makes a nice circle in a six foot radius. Um, so yeah, you're all about waiting and putting that lead in there. And, um, there's definitely a bit of science and art to getting it to swim. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty neat stuff.
0: Do you compete as well?
1: Uh, mostly in the working classes. Uh, I think I can make a pretty good swimming decoy. I think I make a fairly realistic decoy, but like I said, there's some guys that are, just next level, um, like taxidermy quality, uh, fish decoy carvings.
0: You mentioned earlier that, uh, surrounding states have pike spearing. And, uh, I did not know that it was illegal here in Wisconsin until I started doing some reading up, sort of getting ready for this podcast. I I just saw, you know, pike getting speared online and I'm like, sweet, that's something I can do. And then I realized that that's only for rough fish here in Wisconsin. What's the, what's the deal with that?
1: Uh, We can technically spear on Lake Superior waters here in Wisconsin, um, but that's it. Uh, We used to have a bit more spearing on the boundary waters, but then they closed that years ago. Mainly, it sounds like they thought there was a lack of interest at the time. Um, I would say pike spearing is definitely seeing a resurgence, especially in our neighboring states and, and guys here in Wisconsin traveling to other states. Just this month, I was in Michigan and Minnesota with like 40 different guys, you know, going spearing in our neighboring states. And, uh, I also serve on the Wisconsin dark house association. So we've been trying to get pike spearing back here in Wisconsin. I've done a couple, uh, spring hearing resolutions to try and reopen the boundary waters and, um, just get, bring it back. Cause, um, there's definitely an interest. And, in, um, like I said, our neighboring states have it and they manage it successfully and safely, and there's very low incidence of incidental take and um there's no no harm on the populations in those neighboring states as far as pike go. They're abundant predator species and it'd be great to be able to have that uh here in Wisconsin and another outlet for sportsmen and uh revenue dollars obviously for here in Wisconsin too would be a great thing for winter.
0: Yeah, you're not you're not too far down the road from me. We've got some pretty good pike fisheries not too far from us, right? I mean, really right down the road from me is a fantastic place to go fish for pike. People, ice fish for pike all the time here. So Mm -hmm. is there any, are there any efforts to get pike spearing legalized here in Southern Wisconsin, or are we talking mostly, you know, reaches farther North?
1: Uh, So far, we've just uh, focused on the boundary waters, considering that, like I said, our neighboring states have it. And I've been talking with some of their associations and uh, just their interest of getting those boundary waters open and just kind of want our foot in the door to show the, you know, the DNR here and people that it's uh, there's an interest in it and it can be safely done and that there's no, no harm to pike populations or other species.
0: Yes. Like we so talk, talk to me a little bit then about, um, the, so we're, we're kind of bridging between talking fish decoys and talking dark house spearing, which I've got a lot of questions about that. All right. What are the kind of like, what kinds of fish are you carving? Like what, what kind of decoys do you want to use? So obviously we're, we're going to be talking mostly pike and um, sturgeon. So what, what Mm -hmm. kinds of decoys are, are effective and what kind of fish Uh, are you trying to emulate or, or are you trying to emulate a fish? Do you just want something that stands out?
1: Both. (laughs) Uh, Pike are definitely, you know, they're super aggressive predator species. So um, natural fish, you know, anything they're eating already, whether it be perch or panfish, um, I personally like just a regular natural pike. I think I got one sitting back here and you are know, super aggressive towards each other. That's what I got. My personal best pike on was just a little seven inch natural looking, uh, pike. Um, but yeah, bright things, uh, they'll just come in and hammer it, uh, for sturgeon. They're just big, curious dinosaurs. So bright colors, something they haven't seen before. Um, just big, you're generally using bigger, brighter decoys for sturgeon and just trying to get their attention and, and draw them. They're not going to come in and attack it like a pike, you know, a pike would. They're just kind of coming in to look at it. They might nose it or bump it, but they're not going to try and eat it generally.
0: Gotcha. So you're just looking for something to kind of catch their attention maybe from a distance.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, what can you tell me about maybe some of the tradition of uh, dark house spearing? Like can you give me a bit of an introduction? Maybe some of the history, like like how, the culture. How has that developed?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's really ingrained in our neighboring states as far as the pike spearing goes. Um, like I said, there's big shows and everything with it, and just really legendary carvers and uh, everything's just handmade. So I think that really makes it unique. It almost almost similar to like fly fishing. You know, you're making your own your own lures and things attract the fish guys are making their own spears they're making their own ice saws to cut the ice making shacks all that everything's just handmade I think that really makes it super unique um, and it just makes it almost like a year-round sport you know it's not just winter you know you're carving decoys or working on a shack and all those things throughout the year and um, just becomes a lifestyle and uh, especially a sturgeon spring too it's just such a huge part of the lake Winnebago region there you know every bar and and bait shop around there right now has decoys and spears up for sale and guys are out scouting and, you know, you got all the fishing clubs that are plowing out the roads right now and marking, marking cracks and marking the roads with trees and putting, putting bridges out. And, um, yeah, it's just, just a huge part of the culture and, uh, it'd be great to get pike spearing here more in Wisconsin. I think it just really catch on and get a lot of interest.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that uh, sturgeon spearing. So we are, what, two weeks away? Uh, Just under,
1: yeah. Just? 11 days, I think, yeah, something like that.
0: All right, so just under. And you mentioned that all of these uh, shops and bars and stuff up there uh, around Lake Winnebago are are sort of getting their gear out and ready, selling uh, spears and all kinds of things. As someone who's totally new, who's never done it before, uh, what kind of gear are, am I looking at? Like what, what all would I need to get? So if I'd say, Hey, I've got a, a tag or do they call them tags? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I've got, I've got a tag, let's say, and I want to go and I want to have all of my own stuff. What do I need to be able to successfully go spear a fish?
1: Yeah. Well, you can, um, so I mentioned like permanent shacks, but I'm kind of an oddball. I, I, spear out of a pop-up shack. So I have an Eskimo fat fish, just a regular angling type shack. You just want a dark shack that you can sit in for stuff to see, to be able to see down into the hole and into the water. Um, there, and I saw it'd be helpful if you want to cut your own hole, but there are guys you can hire for like 10 bucks. That'll cut a hole for you on bago there. Um, so you just need a spear which are generally pretty heavy duty. Again, they're available all around bagel there. Uh, And then you'd need a decoy. And then pretty much beyond that, that's, that's really about it. um, As far as buying stuff.
0: What goes into, to finding a location? So um, I've seen some of your stuff uh, on Instagram, like cut in day kind of thing. And and I saw you like scooping some of the water out and pouring it into like this little filter thing. What are you looking for?
1: Um, you're looking mainly for two things. You're looking for good clarity, which the last few years has been hard to come by. Um, cause can't see the fish. You're probably not going to be able to spirit. Uh, a good point. <laughs> so you're checking for clarity around the lake there. Um, and then you're checking for their feeding beds. Basically they're usually eating the little red worms. Um, so you have what's called a worm dipper. So you'll drop that down. It'll pick up some of the mud you pull that out and then you, sift through it and you're trying to count how many worms you get in a certain poll. So if you can find good clarity and find good worms, it's generally a good starting point to, to sit up on. So what qualifies
0: as good worms? Like how many do you want to find?
1: Uh, I don't think there's a real set number. I mean, yeah, it varies from year to year and different beds and, um, Yeah. Just kind of, yeah. You just scout around and find what's best and what you're getting best pulls on. Yeah. So when these
0: guys are going out and and scouting, like are there specific features on the lake bottom that they're looking for um, where they're going to scout? Are are there certain depths that they're trying to work in or are they just trying to figure out maybe where the fish are?
1: Yeah, just, yeah, usually it's clarity and worms. And if you find good clarity and worms, guys will set up with a camera, then they'll sit and watch on a camera uh, for quite a while. Sturgeon are bottom feeders, so you usually have that camera and a, a decoy or some sort of attractant sitting on the bottom, and you're just watching. And if you obviously, if you see one come through while you're scouting, that's a good spot to start. And um, yeah, the more time you put in scouting, that generally leads to greater success versus just blindly going out and picking a spot. It's a it's a huge lake, and sturgeon experience kind of like uh, duck hunting out a chimney. I mean, you're only looking in one little spot on this giant lake and hoping that you know, that fish comes through that one spot.
0: So (laughs) that's pretty good duck hunting out of a chimney. Yeah. Yeah. So you got, you've got that one, how big is the hole four by four?
1: Yeah. It depends on the shack. Uh, Usually my shack I'm cutting it by eight feet by three feet, something like that as wide as the shack is. Yeah.
0: Okay. Good deal. Yeah. So when all right. So I go and I, I, I find the spot. I've, I've found good worms. Let's say I've somehow I've lucked into this and uh, i've got a good spot where i want to be i cut things in i set up my shack and then what am i going to do like what what's pretty critical as far as setup goes to to help me be more successful i i, I don't want to get into like you know i know that you know just because i pack the snow right doesn't mean i'm going to be successful but like what what goes what's what's pretty critical i guess you'd say for a good setup
1: <laughs> patience i mean it's a lot of it's a lot of staring at nothing and then that two second window that a fish comes through. I mean, you got to keep your eyes locked on the hole all day. And that, it's tough. I mean, the season runs from 7 AM to 1 PM. So that's a lot of time is staring at, at nothing. And like I said, the clarity the last year hasn't been great. So you're staring at kind of pea soup and barely making out your decoy and just, yeah, really just patience and staying locked in on that hole. And um, yeah, just patience.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I saw online, I was, watching a couple of videos on youtube and a guy is playing on his phone and there's this sturgeon swimming through the window and it's like spirit 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 you know and the guy's still sitting there playing on his phone and he sees it at like the last minute you know or last Mm -hmm. second and and ends up getting it so um another thing that i've seen in uh some videos is people who put like a large white x on the on the the bottom i'm guessing to make Mm -hmm. the fish more visible is that something that you do
1: yeah, PVC pipe or siding or, you know, lattice fencing, anything. Um, yeah, if you can just barely make out the bottom, putting something down, you know, will help distinguish it and you'll see the fish pass over top of it. Um, you, anything you put down, you have to be able to retrieve. You can't put down something that you can't get back up um, as far as the DNR rules go. But, yeah, it helps a lot to be able to see, and um, especially if the water is a little bit cloudy and you can't can't see too clearly. That helps quite a bit. Okay.
0: All right, so I'm I'm there. I've got my perfect setup. I've got my my patient pants on, right? Like I'm ready to sit here and stare at this pea soup for the next six or seven hours or whatever it is, right? I'm sitting there and I'm I'm waiting uh, patiently, and a fish swims by. How big does that fish need to be?
1: Uh thirty six inches is the minimum. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right, so there's no window, so like they can be as big as.
1: Yeah, there's no, no yeah, there's knows. no slot limit. Yeah, just thirty-six inch minimum. Um, I believe the state record for spearing is two hundred and twelve pounds. Uh, I don't I don't
0: remember how many inches that was, but how many people did it pull in before they finally got it out?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm sure that put up a pretty good fight. I got one two years ago that was fifty-five pounds, and that put up plenty of good fight just for me. So I can't imagine a two hundred pound fish. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> What, what's a
0: good rule of thumb to help you determine whether something is 36? I mean, I imagine if a fish comes by and he looks like he's 36, i probably don't want to spear it just because I don't want to take a chance of spearing a 34 incher. Right. Um, so what, yeah. what's well, a good
1: rule of thumb there? both pike and sturgeon, I'd say guys, you know, you're on the side of caution. Um, you're looking at the width as much as you are the length. You know, if you're starting okay. to see good girth, girth on a fish, a good head on it, that really indicates that it's a legal fish. Um, and then for me, I like knowing what my length of my decoys are. So if I have an 18 inch decoy, you know, obviously if it's more than double the length of that, I know, you know, I know it's a safe legal fish. So
0: Is that pretty typical for you, an 18 inch decoy for a sturgeon?
1: Generally. Yeah. Yeah. At least a foot, foot and a half. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. So talk to me about a little bit about the different fisheries, uh, that are available for sturgeon. So I've heard that there are some places where, uh, if I want to go and, you know, spear sturgeon, I can pretty much do it every year if I want to, but maybe I'm not going to have as high of success rate on certain waters. Is that right?
1: Right. Yeah. Lake Winnebago is just a general tag. So anybody and everybody can get a tag every year. Um, the deadlines in October. And, uh, yeah, the success rate, I think the last couple of years has been maybe six or 8% somewhere in that range. It's not great. Oh my word. Six or 8%. <laughs> yeah. The last couple of years has been pretty rough. Um, they haven't, so they have a harvest cap for everything. So if this, they were to hit the harvest cap, they'd shut the season down early, but the last couple of years has been, yeah, been not great quality, not great ice. So, wow. What do yep.
0: you mean? What do you mean by not great ice?
1: Uh, just lots of cracks. Not a couple years ago, it wasn't really even thick enough to be driving on safely. So, um, most guys are hauling out big shacks. So if they can't drive a truck out, you know, they're probably not going out for spearing, So Okay.
0: Gotcha. How do things look for this season?
1: Uh, ice is shaping up good. I just kind of looked, it's actually a few inches ahead of last year at this time. Um, most of the clubs have their roads all plowed out and marked now, and they got their bridges for all the cracks, um, and they're starting to update that. So, yeah, it's looking pretty good. It was a little sketchy to start there. The whole west side of the uh, Bago kind of blew out and um, had to restart for making ice, but uh, everything's pretty good now. So you, you said all the clubs. So
0: there are clubs that sort of specialize in, in this time of yeah. year?
1: Yeah. Literally like every town, especially on the east side, there has uh, fishing clubs and they're all uh, plow out their roads um, and they'll mark them, like I said, with Christmas trees. The trees all generally lean towards shore to kind of let you know which way the shoreline is. And every like mile there will be double trees, you know, to let you know like, hey, you've hit another mile. Um, and then they'll connect all the way across the lake um, to each other. So,
0: Okay, so we're talking Lake Winnebago there. Talk a little bit about some of the other, or I guess the other fishery that's sort of the the prized tag.
1: Yeah. So yeah, there's upriver tags, which I think that's about 500 they issue every year. Um, Right now it's about an eight year wait uh, to get a tag. So you're putting in preference point every year for that.
0: So let Um, me, let me ask you on that point real quick. If I'm putting in preference points for, for that section, can I still draw a, a Lake yep. Wedgo tag. So I don't I don't have yep. to wait eight years to do it. I just have right. to wait eight years for that specific location.
1: Right. Okay. Yep. Yep. So you just put in preference points. And if you know that uh if you're only on two points, you can just apply for a point and then just buy your regular bagot tag. You don't have to wait to know if you drew or not. Um but if you're getting close, uh I think they announced it about a month or two months before um that October deadline for Bago So if you don't draw for upriver, then you still have a little bit of time to get your regular bago tag in. So, okay. Uh, upriver generally has about 60% uh, success rate. Um, so yeah, it's quite a bit different. A um, lot more opportunity up there. Wait, so
0: you're, you're talking like 10 times higher success rates. Oh yeah. 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 Really? What, what makes that so much better?
1: Uh, upriver is generally kind of their staging area for when they're going to go up, uh, spawning. Um, it's generally clearer, it's, uh, shallower for the most part. Um, so that obviously just makes it easier to see them to begin with. Um, yeah, just all equals a better, better opportunity at them up there.
0: Okay. So they're staging up. So that basically there's a, it's sort of funneling all the fish kind of in this yeah. one area, condensing them
1: a little bit. Yeah. Yep, okay. Yeah.
0: All right. So what what advice would you give to to a first timer? So uh, I was looking at tags for this year. Um, the tag deadlines just happen to be right there at a time of year that I'm just not thinking about ice. I'm 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 all all focused on whitetails at that time of year. Um, so I missed it. But I was looking at different outfitters or guides or you know people who put up a shack for you that kind of thing. Um, what advice would you give to a first-timer? Would you suggest that I try to find some buddies to go with? Would you suggest that I use a guide? Would you would you suggest that I just strike out on my own for the experience? What are you going to tell me to do?
1: Um, definitely, I think, hooking up either with a guide or some friends that have done it or are doing it. Um, I think it'll just kind of teach you the right techniques as far as scouting goes and, and just learning the whole process and what gear you might need or what things work. Uh, for certain people, what spears people like or what decoys people like, things like that. Um, I think that'll just help easy into it. It's, it'd be pretty tough to go out and just blindly strike out and um, figure it out on your own. I mean, it certainly can be done. There's lots of YouTube stuff to kind of teach you that too and figure it out. But I think you'll have better success if you yeah, go with a guide or some buddies and, and just learn the ropes. Uh, that's what I did my first time out. I went out with two two actually retired wardens. Um, and they kind of just taught me the ropes and, and I learned it from them and then just been going with buddies every year since got a small group of guys and that just makes it more fun too, to go with some friends. And like I said, you're staring at pea soup all day and it's nice to be able to sit there with a buddy and, and shoot the breeze and have somebody that's always got their eyes on the hole too. You know, if one guy's uh, distracted or whatever.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. One of the, one of the, coolest things, I guess, that I've seen as I've watched YouTube videos is like, you know, there's all these little shacks close to each other. I mean, within shouting distance, right? And all of a sudden you see one of the doors bust open and somebody starts yelling and everybody comes running over and like helping get the fish out and all that kind of stuff. So the camaraderie seems like, you know, 90% of the
1: experience. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, especially when somebody gets one and then it's just a huge group celebration and it's chaos when you get one. I mean, especially if you're sitting with somebody, the guy fighting the fish is usually holding on to that fish. And the other guy is just chucking stuff out, out the door, pulling the decoys out. Cause all those lines are getting all tangled up. You know, that surgeon will really fight pretty good for a while. So it's, yeah, it's definitely chaos and a lot of fun. And, um, and then the, all the bars and the registration stations are a lot of fun afterwards. Like I said, the day ends at one o'clock. So that leaves a lot of daylight to go, to go have fun and check out what everybody got. And, Um you have to be in line to register your fish by 2 p.m. Um, so there'll be the DNR has stations all around the lake there. They'll be weighing them, measuring them, uh sexing them, uh, checking them if they've got uh pit uh tags in them from spawning, things like that that they've ever been caught before. Um, and then all the bars will have basically fish poles that guys will hang up their sturgeon and stuff and you know, take pictures and celebrate and have a lot of fun at.
0: Dude, this, this sounds like Wisconsin deer camp tradition on ice.
1: Yes. Very, very, very similar. Yeah. There's, there's nothing like it. I mean, just, yeah, the, the culture and the cities that form and yeah, seeing all the shacks. I mean, it looks like there's just cities that form out on the lake and basically truck traffic jams uh, getting on and off the lake. And yeah, it's pretty crazy. All right, Ryan,
0: tell me a little bit about the craziest thing that's happened to you while you were out spearing.
1: Yeah, uh, December of 2018 um, is middle of the season or middle of December there, kind of early ice. I'd gone up for the first time uh, to the UP there, my favorite little kind of remote lake in the UP. Uh, Me and my buddies uh, always do this annual little camping trip on this lake that has two little islands on it. Um, it was a Friday, uh, so I'd went up the Thursday night and hung out with a buddy and uh, Marinette, uh, we might've celebrated and partied a little too hard that night, so I was moving <laughs> a little slow that Friday morning. Um, they had to work, so they were going to meet me out later that day. Um, I got out there right at dawn and was walking out and like I said, a little, little groggy from the night before. So not paying too close of attention to my surroundings. Um, This lake, you have to drive about a mile in on a logging road, and then you park and you walk about a mile out on to the lake to the spot we'd go. So it's a pretty good hike and pretty remote. Um, So I was going out, I was going to walk the way I normally do, it was early ice, looked kind of sketchy. So I went a different path around the first island, and I get out to my spot, and I'm checking holes and augering and just figuring out where I wanted to set up. And like I said, there's no... Nothing out there, nobody out there other than me. And I look about a half mile across the ice, and I see this very dark object walking across the ice. And at first I thought it was maybe a wolf or something, just because the way it's taking these really long strides. I thought I saw a tail or something, and then realized, oh, it's it's a bear walking in the middle of winter on the snow-covered ice. <laughs> and uh, I had a little camera with me and I set that up and I start recording and I try calling my buddy Jake who had been with the night before and, uh, he doesn't answer, but he calls right back. And I'm like, Hey, there's, there's a bear on the ice. And he's like, no, he's like, are you sure? He's like, no, it's like winter. He's like, what's a bear doing out there? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm literally watching this bear walk around on the ice right now. And, uh, <laughs> sure enough, it's for sure a bear, uh, I'm kind of being loud and making noise and thinking that would kind of scare it off. And it's just slowly making its way towards me. Um, And so I'm getting a little bit louder and I'm starting to kind of claim like my spear and my auger and just letting it know like, Hey, I'm here. Don't, you know, I don't have anything for you. You Don't need to come near me. And he keeps walking towards me. And uh, so I call my buddy, Mike, the retired warden up and thinking he maybe has some sound advice for me and he just tells me the same thing like hey make noise you know let them know you're there um and then he ends the conversation with if the bear eats you can I have your decoys (laughs) oh that's super comforting (laughs) yeah thanks a lot bud I'm like gee Mike thanks and he's with our buddy Donnie who I can see here just dying of laughter and tears in the background and I'm like all right well thanks for nothing and hang up with him and the bear just keeps slowly making its way towards me. And I'm thinking about, all right, what, what do I do here? And I don't all, have, all you don't have is an auger and a spear, a spear. Oh, Yeah. Okay. Auger and a spear is all I have my ice saw. Um, and like I said, it's about a mile walkout and this bear is in between me and my truck. If I wanted to go back to my truck and behind me is just nothing but frozen marshland. So there's no option for me to move out of this bear's way. Um, so it took it almost thirty minutes to come across the ice to me and like I said, it was about a half mile away. And it got within about ten yards of me and I'm thinking, I'm gonna fight this bear with my spear. Like that's that's ten yards? Yep, yep. So <laughs> you think finally, this is going down?
0: Like you're yeah. you're adrenaline's pumping, you're like, it's oh. it's me or the bear. One of us yep. is not leaving this
1: lake today. Yep, yep, Yep. Like I figure it's happening. <laughs> and I'd you know being from Southern Wisconsin, like I don't have a lot of bear interactions, but I'd seen bears before, always just in a comfortable situation, either far enough away or it wasn't interested or I was near a vehicle or whatever. Um, but yeah, this was definitely an uncomfortable situation. And, uh, so yeah, I finally got within about 10 yards and it stopped and I'm just playing and yelling and cussing at this bear, like, Hey, don't come near me. And it finally goes up onto the Island next to me where I was going to camp, like exactly where I was going to camp. And it goes up on that Island. I quick throw my stuff on my sled and just make record time hiking, hiking back out of there (laughs) and got out of there. And meanwhile, you know, looking over my shoulder the whole time I could see it like still kind of wandering around that Island. Uh, so then the next day, uh, we went spear in a different spot and he let's say we didn't go and camp that Island that night. And then two days later we came back, um, went on an opposite side of the Lake. Uh, but the retired warden, Mike, he, of course just had to hike straight out there and see what was going on he hikes out there we find the bear sleeping out on the ice like right next to this island still alive you know perfectly fine clearly been wandering all over the place and uh we took pictures with it and stuff and because it just was totally ready to hibernate right on the ice there and uh, we ended up calling the michigan dnr letting them know like hey there's this bear that's kind of acting odd and in a spot it maybe shouldn't be. And I don't know if they ended up moving or what happened with it, but uh, it's definitely my craziest, uh, pike experience story.
0: That's so weird. So you, you were up in groggy and the bear apparently was up in groggy. Yeah. Both of you were yeah. trying to <laughs> figure out what the hell you're
1: doing on the ice. Yeah, I can definitely <laughs> tell that in the video too. When I look back at it and <clears> see <throat> it kind of, it definitely looked kind of groggy and was kind of drooling and acting a little mopey or whatever. Um, it was a warmer weekend. So, uh, my warden buddies thought maybe just that warmer weekend it kind of woke it up and it was a little confused and they thought it was probably maybe a two and a half or three-year-old bear so it's probably the first year on its own and and just wasn't sure what was going on and woke up a little little confused there
0: man that's (laughs) wild. well I'm I'm glad you didn't have to square up with a bear yeah me too (laughs) that would have been a pretty crazy story though like yeah like what's the biggest thing you've ever speared well a bear, a bear, yeah. With, yeah. <laughs> that that would be unique. Well, all yeah. right. I gotta, I gotta say, man. I, I've been looking at your stuff on Instagram, and I've seen a lot of your decoys, and uh, they look really good. They look really great. There's one that I think you've messed up on though. Um, it has antlers on it. Mm-hmm. I the don't. Pike I, yeah. I don't think that that exists. What what's going on there?
1: It exists. It's just really rare, and elusive. <laughs> yeah. Really rare.
0: All right. So tell me, tell me about the pike
1: then. (laughs) Yeah. The elusive pike Um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm definitely, uh, I guess, known for is some of my antlered fish. Uh, I don't know what got me into making them, but I think I just had some old like deadheads and sheds and things like that. So I thought, Hey, it'd be fun to throw some antlers on a, on a decoy. And, um, yeah, they're definitely some of the larger ones I make, uh, that I put the real, real antlers on. They're usually about two feet long and,
0: yeah, they're pretty big, man.
1: Yeah, they're fully detailed and yeah, look pretty realistic. And yeah, definitely, I only make about two of them a year. They're quite a bit of work uh, to do. Um, yeah, actually, Mitch Patterson that you talked to on an earlier podcast, he's got one hanging in his bar here at 1062 Saloon. It's hanging up behind the bar. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And then I make little mini ones. with the, uh, some fake antlers, um, call them dwarf pike too.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a subspecies of the bigger pike? Yeah yeah, okay, gotcha. yeah. yeah. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. I'm going to find something different.
0: Yeah. I'm going to need a whole legend built around this. Like <laughs> I, I need you to write, I need you to write stories about it. I need you to talk about, like I need encounters with pike in the wild. I need, I need the full <laughs> shebang, man.
1: Yeah. I need yeah. you to fill yeah, it you out. You have got to be in the right mindset. Spear some murky waters, maybe have a few barley sodas in you. You'll see one. <laughs> <laughs> just
0: just takes a couple of days on the ice, huh? Staring, yeah, stared yeah, into yeah. a into a yeah. hole. So
1: I have a, a cuts of meat picalope shirt that I've made, um, and that's super popular with spears and just regular anglers and everything too. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Where can folks find those uh, find those shirts?
1: I'm uh, at Etsy shop, uh, Ryan Ebert Art. So yeah, I have all my spear and apparel,
0: apparel on there. Okay. Good deal, man. Any anything else that, that I didn't cover? I'm just gonna leave it running here for a second. Anything else that I didn't cover? Because dude, that one, that's a crazy story. Um I'm trying to figure out what in the world the bear was doing, but um yeah. I mean that's yeah. a crazy encounter. And the picalope man, I I love it. I feel like there needs to be a line of children's books about <laughs> yeah. about Pycelope or something. You know, like you remember the old how old are you? Uh, 35. Okay. So we're the same age. So did you mm-hmm. read goosebumps when you were a kid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those old scary books. Like I need I need one about the pike Like kids go to, kids go to summer camp and there's this <laughs> mysterious fish in the water, the pike and it turns yeah, out to be just yeah. one of your decoys instead of an actual fit. You know, I think that'd be a great goosebumps story, but anyway. i add that to my list <laughs>
1: of projects to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, dude, you could do it with the old, like the old goosebumps cover. You know, mm-hmm. with the, the that style, with the, just a portrait of the, pic, of the pike up on the front. So, mm-hmm. anything else we need to cover, man? That was, that was fantastic. I'm glad you uh, glad you brought me back around to that.
1: No, my other favorite story is probably my biggest pike. I've only ever gotten one that's over 40 inches. Um, I think that's kind of like a misconception of uh, guys that don't know about pike experience. They think you're just going to hammer all the massive pike, and it's like, well, like I said before, it's like duck hunting out of a chimney. I mean, you're looking at one little spot. If I really wanted to get a lot of pike, I'd go out with my buddies and set up 20 tip ups and, you know, really cover a lake versus spearing. That's a lot of work and you're just looking in one little spot. So.
0: Yeah. So spearing uh, is not necessarily the most efficient way to go after pike then.
1: No, for sure not. I mean, if you're just looking in one little area. It's it's a lot of work to cut in. Um, so you're generally not moving a whole lot, especially when that ice is pretty thick. I mean, it's, it's a workout, you know, cutting that ice and pulling blocks. or You're pushing the blocks under. Um, so yeah, you're not moving a whole lot versus tip up or jigging your, you know, it's pretty easy to auger a hole and move all around until you find them. Um, so yeah, I've only ever gotten one, uh, 40 inch pike. And that was, I went up in December, 2017, the day after Christmas.
0: Is that in Michigan or Minnesota?
1: Uh, Michigan. Okay. Yeah. I went up to the UP, uh, went up to my bear lake there that I just mentioned. Um, so I tried that the ice was kind of sketchy then, so we didn't set up where we normally would. And it was a really warm, windy day. Uh, spearing kind of sucked. My one buddy's shack, new shack blew over and got messed up in one corner of my shack like blew and got kind of tore up. And, um, so then the next day I went, uh, with my retired warden friend, Mike, and went to his favorite, uh, lake to go spear. And, Another really slow kind of crummy day. We hadn't really seen much. And uh, Mike has, uh, he calls them wiggle fish. They're like finless and they kind of act like they're injured uh, when you jig them. Okay. They kind of, yeah. they wiggle in the water and act a little different. Uh, so he really likes those and we've been swimming those all day and only just seen a few fish and I, and he asked how long I wanted to sit still. It was like about noon. And I said, ah, I'll sit for 30 more minutes. Cause I was going to drive back that day still. And uh, I'm like, hey, let's put down this natural little seven-inch pike I got and uh, we put that down. And sure enough, as soon as it's down in the water, a nice mid-30s-inch pike comes in, just a gimme shot, like right under me. And I, with it, just completely missed the fish.
0: Oh. Was <laughs> that was that I adrenaline just, or cold or what What caused the miss?
1: Yeah, just it just happens. I mean it's not, again, it's not as easy as you'd think, you know, you got the refraction of the water and if you just don't line it up and, and pike are quick too, you know, they'll they'll move at the first bit of sound or anything. So if you splash or something with that spear, they'll, they'll take off uh, like a streak of lightning. Um, so yeah, I whipped on that fe- fish and felt pretty low. And I told him ah, that sets, resets the clock though. We're going to sit for another 30 <laughs> minutes after that. And um, just a few minutes after that, way outside the hole, I just all of a sudden see this giant head come in and it's just like completely outside the hole and Mike where he's sitting, he can't see it, but he knows something's happening. Cause he said the air just went out of me. He like said, he just heard all the breath. Like I just made this huge exhale. So he knew I saw something big and I'm watching this fish and it's not going to come into the hole. I realize, and it's starting to turn. So I threw like sideways all the way across the hole. And I didn't even know if I got it. Cause it was like, you know, starting to swim away. Like could see the spear was staying like vertically or horizontally out. So I knew I had gotten it and got really excited. I'm pulling it back in and I, I knew I didn't have it very good. So Mike, he kind of stopped me. He's like, Hey, Hey, let me grab the gaff. And he grabs the gaff and pull it out. And sure enough, that was a 40 and a quarter inch pike and uh, biggest one I've ever gotten. Still the biggest one I've, I've ever gotten since then
0: man that's wild do, the, do those bigger ones get a little sketchy around holes in the ice like do they are, are they leery of coming all the way in and committing
1: yeah I've seen some bigger ones and they they're especially like I go up to Escanaba a lot they seem to like to hang real deep in Escanaba up there um they're generally not coming up too high um yeah. If they're easy to get, I think more people would be, be nailing them. But amongst my buddies, I think only three of us have ever gotten a one over 40 inches. So wow. it's, it's not super common to get them. That's for sure.
0: Wow. And they taste pretty good from what I hear, but you've got to know how to remove the Y bone. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like to do what's called the five cut method and that kind of just avoids messing with the Y bone. Um,
0: what is that I don't method? Think
1: you're not losing a lot of meat by doing it that way. You just kind of cut the top of the back and then you go over top of the Y bone for the side and then just the tail, the tail meets all clean there basically from the dorsal fin back to the tail is all clean. Okay. So you just avoid it all together. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the easiest Especially way. on the little ones. I mean, it's just so hard to, to get that Y bone on. You can pickle them too. Uh, that'll get rid of the Y bone. It'll, it'll just dissolve if you pickle it. Okay
0: are you spearing any other fish or is it just, just pike and sturgeon? Like I saw where I guess rough fish are free game.
1: Yep. So are are you doing any of that or? Yeah, I was just in uh, Minnesota two weeks ago, I think it was. Um, So whitefish is a really big uh, thing for spearing up there. And those are a lot of fun. We call them the water ninja. They're just ultra quick and they, they don't (laughs) decoy up or attack a decoy like a pike will. So they're not really giving you a shot. As soon as you're seeing them, you're, you're trying to throw and hit them and,
0: So they, you just hope they wander by
1: more or less. I mean, they're, they're a little bit attracted to like smaller decoys. Um, So you are luring them in some, but they, like I said, they don't stop and they're just cruising through the hole really, really quick. So those are a lot of fun to spear too.
0: Yeah. Why is that small? uh, You've mentioned a couple of times that that small, like seven inch natural pike decoys, your favorite. Why is that your favorite? You just have more success with that one or is there something specific about it?
1: um success and i think just pike are really aggressive towards other pike um Mm. so they just i think they feel really confident coming into that little seven inch natural pike that they know they can just hammer it and it's pretty pretty easy meal for them
0: man so they're they do not give a rip that that is their own species they're just coming in to eat no 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 (laughs) man
1: aggressive and then on the opposite end of that i'll be swimming a big old decoy, you know, a 12 inch pike and I'll have pike that are barely that big or smaller. And they're coming in and attacking it too. And it's like, what are you going to do with this fish? You know, this decoy, you're not able to eat it. You know, it's bigger than you are. They're just ultra aggressive sometimes. Yeah. So.
0: That's crazy. It's a wonder yeah. any of them survive with that kind of,
1: right. <laughs> with that kind yeah. of behavior. Yeah. You get teeth marks in the decoys and sometimes you get little teeth that'll even embed in them and stuff. It's pretty cool to see them, you know, attack and mark up the decoy.
0: That's kind of a neat trophy to take home. You can get a couple
1: Little teeth, yeah. Yeah, little yeah.
0: teeth stuck in there. That's cool, man. And I'm sure mm-hmm. decoys uh earn stories over time with oh, for sure. gouges yep. and yep. like little badges of honor and little memories, yep. I guess you'd say, carved into it that that
1: you didn't mm. do. Yeah. So my my seven inch one that I got the forty inch pike on, it's sitting in the mouth of it right here. I got it mounted. So yeah, that one's retired now
0: with the fish. Oh, that's cool, man. So you just left yep. it in there with the mount. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah. That's and then cool. uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Milwaukee Brewers racing sausages. Yeah. Uh, so I made all those as decoys and that's actually what uh, came in for my sturgeon. I had the hot dog down no uh, racing sausage. Yeah. So that one's semi-retired <laughs> now and he's sitting on a shelf. So,
0: Oh, yeah. that is yeah. awesome. That is mm-hmm. awesome. So not even a, not even a fish,
1: not even a fish. Got yeah. A yeah. I like down. doing the real weird funky stuff like that. So, Pike really don't care if it looks like a real fish or anything. And like I said, sturgeon are just curious. So you definitely can make whatever you want. And um, a lot of guys aren't even swimming traditional decoys for sturgeon. They're putting down bowling pins or antlers or Barbie cars or, I mean, just whatever to try and attract them in. Well,
0: that's what I was going to say. So you you made a a sausage, man. Like how how, how
1: did it swim? It swam great. Yeah, Yeah, I make sure everything (laughs) swims... Yeah, even if it's goofy, I'm making sure it still swims. The pike lope are really hard to get to swim right. Those antlers do weird stuff in the water. and I imagine they create off, some so. drag. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's yeah. crazy. Very cool. I, I bet there's some neat stuff you could do with that, too, to give it some nice motion.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I definitely learned with the pike lope. I, I use smaller racks. I don't want a Booner pike, pike lope. Otherwise, it's pretty hard to swim if it's got a big old 10-point rack on
0: it. So you don't want a good one. <laughs>
1: Nah, nah. I like little little racks. A little easier to make them swim right. So. There you go. Well, you, you one of those shooter
0: bucks, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> As the, yeah. the OKS Hunter Podcast would would call those, uh, <laughs> you know, get some some shooter bucks down there, a couple of forkies or something.
1: Yeah. Nice eater eater pike-a-lope. There yeah. you go.
0: Eater yeah. pikealope. Man, I really am gonna need a, a series of kids books, yeah. about the pikealope <laughs> at this point. This is this is getting too good. To, Tell me a little bit about these, uh, the spears. So, I mean, I I haven't seen like a real close up, but man, these look like pretty technical pieces of equipment. There's like a pole that detaches and there's rope and there, I mean, Mm -hmm. and and then I'm thinking, you know, you spear a 50 or 60 pound fish. How do you keep that thing on the spear? How does it not just slip right off? You know, Mm -hmm. so tell, tell me a little bit about the, the actual, I guess the, essentially if we're thinking in bow hunting terms, we're talking like the arrow itself, right? I mean, you're, yeah, this yeah. is the thing that gets you the fish. So tell, talk to me about what makes a good one.
1: Yeah. So I'll talk, I'll talk about both pike and sturgeon. Cause they're, they're similar and different. Uh, pike spear is generally maybe five feet long. It's only a couple pounds, um, fixed barbs, fixed head, uh, pretty lightweight, uh, versus a sturgeon spear. That's generally about seven foot handle on it. Uh probably weighs, close to 10 pounds, if not more, uh, detachable head. And sometimes a fixed barbs or what's called flying barbs. Um, kind of like, uh, like an arrowhead, basically Yeah, fixed or, or flying barbs on there. Uh, cause yeah, sturgeon, like I said, it's big, they'll fight, they'll roll. So the idea is you let that head detach once you've got it on there and they can kind of freely move, you know, that spear handle isn't catching on anything, hitting the ice or anything. That's all, all free to move around and, and yeah, cause you'll, you'll fight them for a while, especially if they're a good size.
0: How common is it for a guy to lose one? Like if you, if you spear one with a, with a good quality spear, like, is that fish going to get away or?
1: It, it can happen. I mean, if it's a big fish and got a lot of pull on it and you didn't get it, get it speared very deep, um, it can happen. But uh, if generally if you get it, get it nailed pretty good. It's not coming off. Okay. All right. Guys will run second spears always in their shack just in case if they think they didn't get it very good, you know, they're throwing another spear in it if they can just to double down. And um, you always have a good gaff hook in the shack too. Once you're getting it up close to the top of the, the water, you'll try and gaff it and and get another another hook in it.
0: Okay. Can, so if I've got a buddy with me, let's say, can, can he legally, like, and I spear the fish, and I'm like, mm, not real sure about this. Can he legally spirit with me or do I have yeah. to be the one to? He would have to have a tag. He would have to have a tag as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So he I can't, can't have even... a buddy along just to help kind of.
1: Yeah. If he, if, if a buddy didn't have a tag and you went outside to go to the bathroom or something, he would literally have to leave the shack. He can't sit there with the spears and yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. Yeah. But you. if he had a tag, he can, he can throw another spear in it. Um. But you, I mean, you could throw that spear also you can have two two spears in the shack with one person
0: okay gotcha gotcha yeah talk to me a little bit about uh uh, the state of the of the sturgeon population i mean this is a pretty managed uh i guess you really call it a hunt i don't don't know i mean it's 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 well managed i mean they're taking lots of information down about the fish that are caught they're paying really close attention to how many are caught and like you said even there's there's a quota right
1: mm-hmm. and
0: if maybe i didn't fill my tag but they hit the quota and they close the season down that means i'm out of luck for this year right
1: yep, yep so yeah there's strict harvest caps um at the end of every day like i said you got to be in line by two to register your fish and then within a few hours of that registration closing they're releasing the data for that day letting you know how close the harvest cap numbers are uh how many male female adult juvenile uh, sturgeon were taken. So it's, yeah, it's closely regulated. And once they get to that 10% trigger, I think it is for the harvest cap, um, it'll shut down within the next day. Uh, So they're, yeah, it's very closely managed. Yeah.
0: So what, what is the, the health of the population like then? I mean, is it, is it a pretty healthy fishery or is it, you know, is it something that's in decline?
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a very healthy fishery. Um, like I said, they that's why those harvest caps are in place, to keep it managed well. And every spring when they're spawning, they're uh, catching netting fish and uh, tagging them and, you know, checking the health of everything and getting kind of their estimates on the population overall. And, um, yeah, it's super health, healthy population, and um, it's unlike anywhere else. I mean, that's why we have this sturgeon experience season. Uh, Michigan has a very very small uh, sturgeon experience season on Black Lake uh, I think they are allowed maybe five fish I believe is their number I mean their season closes within like a couple hours like oh, that's it wow. for them so what we have here in Wisconsin is is unlike anywhere else in, in the country
0: okay all right so I, I guess the the last thing that I'm that I'm really wondering about is uh, when it comes to you know sturgeon hunting sturgeon spearing like like what what is uh, what is the thing that makes somebody good at it like i imagine that a lot of it just feels like luck right i mean especially if you're on lake winnebago and it's (laughs) six percent success rate right right but i bet you've still got those guys that are like man it's six percent success and he's always in that Mm six percent like what what is it that sets those kinds of guys apart
1: yeah guys that are able to scout a lot and uh like I said, they're looking for that clarity and worm beds and then they're sitting and watching the camera forever and seeing what fish are coming through. And um, yeah, guys that are able to just put in that time scouting and um, that definitely equals a bigger chance of success. And and then, yeah, there's obviously a lot of luck, but um, that legwork ahead of time makes a huge difference.
0: Okay. And what are your plans coming up? So you're heading up for uh, what the day before opening day?
1: Yeah, I'll head up with that Friday for cut in. And, uh, I'm usually up there the first few days. I rent a place on the east side with some buddies and, um, I'm about two and a half hours away. So that's a little bit too far to drive back and forth every day. But, uh, yeah, I'll uh, hopefully get up scouting this coming weekend. And I had a buddy that was up scouting last weekend a little bit for us. And, um, way up some spots. We'll check out that Friday cut in again, just kind of checking for clarity and seeing what's best and because things are always kind of changing too, um, as far as the clarity goes. So that scouting piece,
0: that's a, that's a team effort as well. Not just the actual season. Right.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. I definitely have a network of of buddies that are nice and kind of keep me updated on what they're seeing and I let them know what we're seeing and, Um, definitely a team effort in that regard.
0: How close are y'all going to set up? So if you found, you know, a a really good spot, let's say the one that just stands out, like are you all going to just create a little settlement there for the next couple of days or or how how does that work?
1: More or less, yeah, you're always within about 100 yards. or So like you said, shouting distance if somebody gets something and needs to yell the neighboring shack or, um, yeah, it's kind of close enough that you have your own little, little town basically of (laughs) shanties,
0: man. That's awesome. So what, what have I not asked about that? I should have asked about when it comes to sturgeon spearing, like I'm sure this world is so much bigger than my brain is currently wrapped around. Right. (laughs) Like, so what, what am I missing?
1: I think just giving it a try. Yeah. coming and okay. check it out. Even if, like I said, if you don't got a tag, um, you know, just come up that opening weekend and check out a registration station or uh Fond du Lac has their sturgeon spectacular event. Um, they'll have activities going on and bands and, uh, fire out on the ice. And I think they do fireworks down by Fond du Lac. I mean, it's a whole event. So even if you don't have a tag, you know, just want to check it out and get an idea. And it's, there's definitely things to see and, and then just going and trying it. And I think, I think just trying it, you'll get hooked.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you coming on today. I I, want to hear a little bit about uh, you and sort of the rest of the stuff that you do, right? Like you're, you've got your hand in a little bit of everything and I get to talk to a lot of people for this podcast. And one of the things that I'm noticing is that those guys who get to um, to be self-employed and who get to set their own schedule so that you can talk to me at you know, 10 o'clock on a, on a Monday morning, instead of being in meetings at work or something like that. Right. Like those kinds of guys and the, and the folks who get to be in the outdoor industry, they're doing a little bit of everything. Like I haven't talked to anybody that was just like, yep, this is my one thing. And, and that's all I do. And of course I, I reach out to you and you're like, yeah, I do this and I do this and I do that. You know, you're, you're very broad. So what all are you, what all do you have your hands in right now?
1: Uh, right now. Yeah. This is kind of the time of year. I'm doing a lot of decoy carbon and, uh, kind of gearing up for that big show I mentioned in April for the NFDA, uh, working towards that. I'll have a couple booths there and I'll be entering contests for that. Uh, Doing a lot of design work right now for different businesses, uh, working on logos for some fellow fish decoy carvers, and then working on apparel for them too at the same time. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely great being able to make my own schedule and pick pick my kind of jobs and timelines of different things and um, definitely enjoy doing all that.
0: Yeah. It's good stuff, man. You, you're, uh, I I've really enjoyed getting to see some of the stuff on Instagram that you're putting out. So let's say folks are listening to this and they're like, Hey, I'm interested. I want to see more about what Ryan is putting together. Uh, I want to see some of his fish decoys. Where can people go to find more from you?
1: Uh, Instagram is the main place where I share all my fish decoy stuff at. So uh, Ryan Ebert art, um, uh, Etsy is where I sell like uh, some of my fish decoys and spearing and apparel and different things on there. Uh, that's also Ryan Ebert art uh, Facebook. I kind of share more of my portrait and video work that I do. Um, and then my website's Ebert photo. Uh, and then my screen printing business is Brindle Inc. Um, and everything's the same for that. As far as handles go, it's all Brindle Inc.
0: Okay. Good deal. I'll, I'll put, uh, put all of those links in the uh, in the show notes for this episode whenever whenever it goes live, that way people can sort of get, uh, a, an idea of what you're doing. Uh, man, I'd love to check in with you again to hear how your, your sturgeon season went once things wrap up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely got to come check it out. It's like I said, it's a lot of patience. My, I've only gotten one fish in the 10 years I've been going. So it's, <laughs> wow, it's not a huge success rate, but, sure. uh, yeah, it's great. Great time.
0: Well, I imagine, too, it's kind of like, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about heading west, and one of the common things that I, uh, heading west for elk, and one of the common things that I hear is people say, don't just store up those points for, like, that that prime time, you know, elk hunt that you're going to get. Like, go to Colorado six, seven, eight times between now and that prime tag that you're trying to draw so that you've got some of the experience. I imagine it's it's pretty similar with spearing and and really when it comes to spearing like pike and stuff as well, um, mm-hmm. you probably wanna get involved with some of the other stuff before you put all of your eggs in the uh in the sturgeon basket. You know, you get that once in every six or seven year tag. You probably wanna have some experience outside of that already.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. And you just gotta keep going and trying. And um, yeah, when I got mine, it was uh on the upriver. So uh it wasn't it's probably about the worst season they've had for upriver two years ago, as far as clarity and ice conditions went. Um, so I think it was day 14 of the season I had finally gotten it and I was just driving back and forth the two and a half hour drive every day, uh, to get it. And I'd kind of given up hope. And I'd went up on a Friday morning and I think I was sitting maybe 30 minutes and one finally came through up, up high for me. And, and got it and was pretty, pretty ecstatic. So yeah, just keep going and trying it. And yeah, you never know when, when that one's finally gonna come through for you. And
0: it was a good one.
1: Yeah, it was uh, 60 inches, um, 55 pounds. It was uh, an adult male. The estimate is probably about 35 years old. Wow, was that the only one you'd seen? Um, i had seen one other that season that I, I missed. And then I've had two other misses over the years uh, off camera. Um, is what they call it when you got a. Like I said, it's pea soup. So you, sometimes you'll run a camera on the bottom, and you're kind of watching that camera too, trying to see if something's swimming around in the bottom. So I'd add two misses uh, off camera because you're just kind of you're just kind of guessing where the fish is um, in relation to the camera and the decoy and everything you got running.
0: Wow, wow. Well, man, good luck to you this season. Uh, I hope you get one, and uh, I'd love to hear the story. Uh, after uh, after that all wraps up thanks for your time today
1: yeah thanks for having me